This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim 365 Radio, Sikkim365.com. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim 365 reporter, writer, also radio host, joined by Grayson Grunhafer, director of broadcasting, also team and recruiting reporter. For you guests at Sikkim365.com, we got a full house behind the scenes. Garrett Ross producing, uh, getting some help along the way from a cast of folks, and we are glad to be just a couple of weeks out from the start of football season. Baylor football with their last week of open practice windows, and then by this weekend that will come to a close, and they will basically go behind closed doors for the next week to get in final preparations before their opener against Albany. So we are knocking on the door of the 2022 football season. Grayson, uh, we're starting to get to the point now where we've been able to kind of go out and dabble a little bit with watching practice and, you know, seeing guys talk afterwards and highlight their position groups, but uh, just around the corner. I mean, we've been teasing it and teasing it, but truly we're about to close practices that were just opened so that we can kick off this season. It, it really is almost here. Yeah, and usually next week, uh, at least under Dave Aranda, it's been the mock game week. So they kind of get ready, kind of get the young guys ready for what to expect throughout the year um, and kind of every single week. And as we've heard from Dave Aranda so many times in the past, they always like to, on Sunday, just act like it's a completely new almost season. You know what I mean? From week to week. So I think it's really important that they get a nice little trial in here. Um, And I also would say, you know, it's been a very fun fall camp in my eyes because it just seems like this program has a swagger and a confidence about it going into the year. And I think that's really encouraging to see on the Baylor side of things. And Dave Aranda just seems to have a great control of the pulse of the program. Yeah, I don't feel like there are a lot of questions. Uh, there are obvious questions. There's like, okay, who's going to step up at wide receiver? But there's not a, okay, who do you have at wide receiver type of thing. It's just a matter of, okay, who do we ultimately see out there on Saturdays getting the most snaps? But in terms of lack of depth or just the normal concerns they've had over the last few years, those seem to kind of be out the window. It's uh, just now sort of an impatience to see this thing roll out there and let us finally identify, okay, what really are the weaknesses or what are the strengths uh, that we, we think we knew that we now can confirm uh, having seen some evidence. And against Albany, we probably won't still have all of those answers because the expectations are they're going to go out there, which we'll talk about next week, and you know, kind of have their way, one would think. But uh, we know that schedule will ramp up pretty quickly. So, uh, like I said, we're knocking on the door. They're going to go. Uh, you know, into uh, into game mode here in the next few days. So we'll take advantage of these last few practices that we have to get video and to have open windows and to hear from the players as well. But there will be a lot more uh, coming from them uh, here over this last week. And uh, hopefully we'll get Dave Aranda another time as well. So looking forward to that. But uh, let's talk some fall camp. There's some other things to get to NFL-wise and uh, AP-wise. Uh, it's t- as far as the uh, top 25 polls coming out. 
uh, which is another preseason tradition. Uh, I haven't been able to be as many practices uh, the past week as far as the windows and that go, uh, but there has been, I guess, some things of note. You know, uh, the last few days, Al Walcott was confirmed to be at the star spot. Christian Morgan just talked yesterday, and it sounds like he's kind of a – just a roving sort of backup player at every single spot, uh, from the star to the free safety to the weak safety. Um, that's kind of what was outlined by Christian himself yesterday, uh, which we've kind of known that, but it was just interesting to hear from him. Uh, and he's sort of the veteran guy. Uh, so that was confirmed. That was one of the more recent things. Uh, anything from Miranda over the weekend that you heard or anything else you picked up on that was of note? Yeah, I mean, the Walcott thing, we've pretty much known that since the first day of fall camp, yeah. you know, him going out there and playing that position. He's also banged up, um, and so that's something to keep an eye on, but he should be back very, very soon. He's going to be a very impactful guy for this defense and really fits in nicely to the star spot. And I'm so intrigued by what they're going to do at cornerback because for them to have the confidence to move the guy who, in my eyes, was their best cornerback a year ago means they have some young guys they feel really, really good about. So that was definitely one thing of note. Christian Morgan kind of being the roving guy makes a lot of sense. And honestly, if you remember last year, Jaron McVay kind of did that. And I think Morgan is pretty much going to fit into that role of playing multiple safety spots and just knowing all of them and knowing how to play all of them and giving them a veteran leadership quality. He played the star in the spring. The boundary is what he played all last year. And the field spot, probably a little more difficult for him to play, uh, but an area that I think if you're playing two high safeties, he would be just fine at. So I'm very curious to see how they end up utilizing him during the season, but I do think he's going to carve out a role and be on the field a lot for this Baylor team on the defensive side. Um, some news and nuggets in my eyes. So I think Seth Jones is a guy that needs to be brought up a little bit more and probably one that I don't think we've talked about quite enough um, or really anyone has talked about enough. Uh, he started in the spring game and he's starting to emerge a little bit as a guy who might be contending to be inside the two deep, which I wouldn't have thought was going to be the case uh, a couple weeks ago. He might be in that top five-ish group for this uh, wide receiving core on the outside. And so because of that, he's a big riser for me and a guy that's really, I think, turned some heads as fall camp has gone on. Now he's just going to have to continue to do that, keep stacking days. And if he does, there's a realistic outcome where he's the starting outside wide receiver for the first game of the year, um, along with Josh Cameron and Monterey Baldwin. So something to keep an eye on there. Uh, I would also say, I think after this last week, I think Richard Reese is the third running back for this Baylor team right now. Um, that might be more of a guess than anything, but it just seems like he's had a really nice fall and is a guy who's continuing to move up the depth chart. And also when I look at this running back group, he to me is the closest to being like Squirrel. And we've known, you know, Squirrel, the injury history, we all kind of have known that. So they need another guy who kind of fits that mold of being quick, fast and explosive through the hole and he fits that extremely well um so you got squirrel you got tay mcwilliams but i think he might be the third guy at this very moment so is that good news or bad news that a freshman's walking in as a third running back and is that good news or bad news that seth jones is just out of nowhere emerging to be yeah. perhaps a starting wide receiver yeah um I think, I think for Seth, it's a little bit different because I think we kind of knew that this position was wide open. And honestly, we probably should have just read the writing on the wall when he was starting in the spring game. You know, I mean, there were guys out. You know, I understand all that. But also, like, maybe I should have taken that more into consideration when uh, I've been doing my thought process on this. Um, 
and you know, you have a new wide receiver coach, so you have a new philosophy. And so you're going to have new guys that step up in the group and fit what Dallas Baker needs at wide receiver. It just seems like Seth has had a really nice, you know, half of fall camp. Now, can he continue that? I don't know. Can he keep pushing for that? Who knows? They've had some guys out at the wide receiver position for various reasons. And so he's made the most of it and he's stayed healthy. So I wouldn't say that that one is a huge negative for anyone just because he was already the starter in the spring. So, you know, maybe it is more so they don't want to start the freshman quite yet. They don't want to start Armani yet. Maybe that's the case. Um, or maybe just Seth is taking the position by storm. Running back is a little bit different. Richard Reese is actually old for his grade. Um, I believe he's already like 19 or 20. He's an older guy um, at the running back position as a recruit, um, which is not something you see very often, but it is something where you go, okay, so maybe he's more college ready. Um, and I think just looking at Squirrel and looking at the rest of the guys on the depth chart at running back, there's no one that is really comparable to Squirrel or runs like Squirrel. You know, Fleeks is a converted wide receiver. Quaylen Jones, bigger back. Jordan Jenkins, bigger back. Kyan Roberts Day, bigger back. You know, there, there's really no one that kind of matches that electric burst that Squirrel has. And so I think that's where Richard Reese has kind of separated himself from the rest of the running backs in just a different way. I think he just fits a different role than the other guys. So uh, that is of note, obviously, that uh, you've got two guys who have not been talked about a lot that could be emerging to you know, get significant snaps and significant, um, you know, I guess snaps is the best word because I don't want to go too far and start throwing stats out there yeah. and things like that. But, it's more uh, like they have a role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, significant roles uh, coming up this season, which uh, for Richard Reese, I mean, is great. Uh, I don't think anybody was really uh, expecting him to come in right away and, and have too much of an impact. But for Seth Jones, I'd say it's a little bit more needed uh, because he has been around for what seems like a little while now and hadn't appeared to have really carved out too much of a specific, you know, slot. It was almost thought that you were afraid that he's going to get lost a little bit if we didn't hear something soon. So that's obviously a positive development uh, for both of those young men. And uh, we will obviously see here in a couple of weeks for sure. Those first games, uh, at least that very first game in Albany in particular, uh, definitely a game where you'd expect to see Seth Jones and Richard Reese and whoever else you want to throw into that mix getting some playing time. And, and you know, beyond that, there's not a lot of games you can really point to. So that will be interesting to see, you know, how much they try to get out of that game. Yeah, that one and hopefully Texas State. That one yeah, should be. Unlike it, last year. Yeah, it should be a blowout. It really should be. We'll see what happens there. Uh, a couple other notes personnel-wise. Offensive line with Khalil Keith out. You got Tate Williams and uh, Gavin Byers kind of competing for the right tackle spot. They've been getting the most work there. But I still think there's a realistic situation that Elijah Ellis also fits into that role a little bit. I know he's been working as the backup left tackle behind Connor Galvin, but I do think there's a chance that he's their best right tackle guy as well, um, at least with Khalil out. So I'm very curious to see how that shakes out. I know Tate Williams has been really impressive, and he continues to grow and build upon uh, his start to fall camp and what he did this spring, and he's gotten a lot better. And I think for that reason, I feel really comfortable going into these first three games, even without Khalil Keith. Now, you go beyond that. You go to at Iowa State and Oklahoma State. They're probably going to need Khalil for those games. I think whoever starts at right tackle could get overwhelmed a little bit. Um, but I do feel okay about those first three games with the guys that are emerging on the offensive line. 
Moving on to the defensive side, uh, the only name that I really want to bring up here is Matt Jones. Um, it seems like he's going to be the will this year. It just seems like he's kind of taken that position by storm. Not really surprising. He's the veteran. He's the guy who I think everyone would have said to start the year, it's probably going to be Matt Jones. But there's talent there. Will Williams, Josh White, and they're really, really good players, but they're also much younger. It just seems like Matt has really taken over that position, and I fully expect him to be the starter when the season begins. So uh, I know there's been some talk about where exactly he would be used and uh, just kind of his role coming off of an injury, but uh, I'm excited to see him. I mean, he's got to be one of the top players defensively. I almost feel like he could get a little bit lost in the shuffle at times as well. Yeah, I think so too. And I also think people are forgetting, like you said, positional versatility. And if Baylor does run out two jack linebackers on the field at the same time, you could see him slide down, which would allow them to put in a Josh White or a Will, Will, Will Williams or you know, maybe in coverage, they bring in Will Williams to bring in kind of another de facto star onto the field as he's kind of more of a, a nickelback, his height and weight at least. And so I'm very curious by it, but Matt Jones is going to be on the field a ton and is going to be a huge playmaker for this defense. You're exactly right. Yeah, no, he'll, he'll definitely have a massive role uh, no matter where you find him on the field or where you find him blitzing or Drop. I mean, whatever he's he's doing, he's going to be uh, an important key in what Ron Roberts and company are trying to accomplish. So, yeah, uh, definitely got some eyes on Matt Jones uh, as we get closer. And uh, just as a whole, excited to see this football team. I mean, it's taken shape. Uh, it's kind of flown by already this preseason camp. Uh, it just felt like it opened the other day, and I guess it technically did. But here we are, and, and they're going into their final week. So there will be, I think, four more open sessions uh, and then by Friday, I believe, it's it's closed shop. And they will, again, go behind closed doors and start to go into game week mode. And uh, that's when the, the party really starts. And we'll be, you know, soon enough having post-game shows and the like. So uh, that's it uh, as far as I'm concerned, as far as, like, notes to, to kind of take away. Um, but there are other things to discuss uh, in regards to this football team right now, including the preseason polls being released. Uh, we had seen the coaches poll. Uh, put out there. Baylor was number 10 in that one. And uh, most recently, the AP Top 25 released, and the Bears are number 10 in that one as well. Uh, the second highest ranked Big 12 team, Oklahoma, comes in at number nine, just one spot above Baylor. Uh, but you've got Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame, and then Texas A&M at six, Utah, Michigan, OU nine, Baylor 10. Uh, that is your AP Top 10 Oklahoma State. As far as some more Big 12 flavor is at number 12. And then you have uh, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU, the new Big 12 schools, although not until next year, of course. But they round out the top 25 at 23, 24, and 25. That's uh, Cincy, Houston, and BYU in order to uh, round out the top 25. So uh, the new Big 12, definitely some better representation. You'd have to take out Oklahoma as far as your total goes. Uh, but Baylor, Oklahoma State, and then those three, or in its current version, OU, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. So uh, your thoughts, Baylor, pretty much the unanimous number 10 for both coaches and voters out there in the AP poll and coaches poll. Yeah, and Texas is at 27. Technically, they have 164 votes. So they're right on the outside. Kansas State has 14 votes as well. So they're kind of in the mix uh, to be ranked. Yeah, as far as Oklahoma and Baylor, I'm fine with it. I still, and I've seen a lot of tweets about this and everything, but I still feel like Baylor should be ranked ahead of Oklahoma. Um, 
I'm not. I know Oklahoma's going to be good this year, and I understand. Watch why out, some, Kendall. Yeah, yeah. I just to me, I feel like even if Oklahoma's a top ten team, which I think they are going to be, I don't see why they're ranked ahead of Baylor at this time. Baylor just won the Big Twelve last year. Baylor beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma has a coaching change, new quarterback, a lot of new faces. And yet they're ranked ahead of Baylor. A little surprising to me, but again, we're nitpicking here. It's nine versus 10. So Baylor's inside the top 10. It's a great spot for them. I think Oklahoma State deserves their top 12 ranking as well. They're going to be really good. And like I've talked about kind of all summer, all spring, I think these are going to be the three best teams in the Big 12. And I think they're going to separate themselves pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, it should be a fascinating race for the Big 12 because there is so much unknown going into this year and so many people that are kind of banking on big bets one way or the other. Like, there are Oklahoma fans that are just dug in that they are not going to skip a beat with Brent Venables, and I'm sitting here as a lifelong OU fan going, I could definitely see them skipping a beat with this yeah. team. And so I know that uh, our own Kendall Couts had to fight some of those battles online <laughs> with OU fans. and Yeah, but uh, that's because Kendall was saying they're going, what, like 6-6? Six and six? Well, yeah, yeah he's, he's a little more extreme on extreme. The, the downside of uh, downslope of negativity, but I could definitely see them taking a step back. Uh, I could see Texas going either way, especially after the most recent injury news for them. I mean, those weren't like cornerstones, but... You really can't – I mean, like, cornerstones – I mean, they're not Bijan or Ewers or Worthy, but they're. I know they're close. I'm saying, yeah. like, a pillar. And Anglau, yeah, probably their best O-lineman, but that's, like – that's that's like the best roll of toilet paper. Right. It's going to force them to have to play a freshman probably, but yes, the bigger one is Nair. Just because Nair, there was talk about him being an NFL guy. I was one of those being, guys, yeah, yes, right. because I saw him in Wyoming. He's Very a really good. great player, yeah. and it, I think that's a significant loss for yeah. them. Uh, and I think it's more significant than a Jaya Hall, and you counter that, or you count that as well, though, and that's another guy that you brought in to bolster their receipt. So, anyways, Texas has some questions, uh, and I could see them going – you know, seven and six, as well as I could see them going 10 and two. I mean, yeah. it's, I think it's capable of swinging wildly one way or the other. And that's kind of the story of every team in this league of could be a bowl team, could be a non-bowl team for a lot of these. And so, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's been fun to kind of watch how the opinions for each one is sort of roller coaster, depending on what the latest news is. Um, but I don't know that anyone's got a terrific grip on what this actually is going to look like. I mean, we all think, and we all kind of have the same teams in mind, but there are a lot of wild cards out there for every single group that we're talking about, including the Bears. I mean, they could, you know, there was a question we had of who could you see going from, you know, top 10 to like unranked. And you look at the top 10, and Baylor's a good candidate. I mean, you know, if things don't go exactly the way that they, they, uh, they, they want. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see this, this finally shake out here pretty soon. Yes, for me, I, I think Oklahoma has questions, so there's a little bit of, you know, I think you have more question marks about them in my eyes, but Baylor and Oklahoma State, I just, I feel like they're safe as far as, like, I'm sitting here and I'm going, they're going to win at least eight games. Like, for me, they would have to suffer so many injuries to not hit that mark. Oklahoma State, for instance, I just think this is, a crazy stat they've won at least eight games in all but two years since 2008 they're going to win eight games like that, that's just what's going to happen Mike Gundy has done that every single year seven seasons during that stretch they've won 10 games so I think they're the ones that are probably the safest like lock them in they're going to win at least eight games and they have a ceiling to win kind of what they did last year win 11 games but I think Baylor's kind of in that same boat I don't think you roll out in the big 12 with 
two units that are ranked, according to on three at least, inside the top three offensive line and defensive line and don't find a way to win at least eight games. I just don't see that happening. There aren't many other schools that can say that. Actually, there aren't any schools that can say that this year. Um, and I just think that's a huge factor that some people are kind of missing. Yeah, I mean, I'll take it or leave it as far as some some rankings go, but I understand why they, they are strong in, you know, in the eyes of uh, those guys creating the offensive lines, but like you said, barring injuries, that's the thing we don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing I want to – that's what I'm talking about is I want to see. Like, okay, we've talked about it on paper. Everybody at their best looks great here and there. Okay, now let's roll the football out and let's see, like, who does stay healthy, who doesn't. You know, I just – I want to see results yeah. at this point and see where the ceiling is. Is it eight wins? Is it ten wins? Is it going undefeated and getting the playoffs? We've seen every scenario looked at and – Every, you know, if this happens or that happens, okay, now let's go. Let's go. And and here we are. We're a couple weeks away, and we could finally see that. Well, in a week and a half, you're going to have to have your prediction ready. I've you know, got my prediction go ready. I've, I'm I'm ready right now to do you're it. Re- oh, you don't you don't even want to wait for five I, so I already said eight and four is eight what four. I'm going with. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that might go to nine and three, but I'm not going beyond that. Okay. Do you have yours? No, I'm going to wait. Okay. I'll, I'll wait till our show in a couple weeks. I want to see some more things unfold before I go all in one way or another. But it, it'll be interesting regardless. It's going to be very interesting. We're both on the over, though. I can say that much. The uh, over-under is 7.5 right now. Baylor's yeah. going to cover that. I think they'll cover that. But, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying, too, is um, I think we're kind of in the same wavelength as far as everybody expects them to be at a certain point. But, like, that's my question is, okay, now let's see. How far beyond that can they go? Mm-hmm. Is this a 10-win team? Or is this really an 8-4 and four team? And, I'm just excited to, to actually see that and see why that happened or why that didn't happen. And, you know, then what the next wave of, um, you know, interesting storylines are. Uh, but one of those uh, interesting storylines involving Baylor football are the NFL guys. Uh, there's a number of them, close to 30 players in the league. Uh, I've got an article ready to rip uh, here at 3 or 4 o'clock Central Time once rosters are finally settled, every team having to whittle down to uh, 85 players today from their 90 players. So every team of 32 teams having to cut at least five guys. Uh, this has not affected Baylor's near 30 guys so far, um, but as we record this, there are still spots that need to be um, you know, found out and uh, released by the teams themselves. So we'll see. And this obviously is not the big massive cuts. Not even next week will be. Next Tuesday, there will be another one, another five off every team. But then two weeks from today is when you will see rosters trimmed down to 53. And that's where just absolute bloodshed will occur <laughs> because everybody, 32 teams will have to go from 80 to 53. So you will have hundreds of guys in two weeks' time that are no longer on rosters. Uh, and I'm sure uh, some Baylor guys will be affected by that somehow or another, whether that puts them on practice squads or cuts outright or, or what have you. But right now, uh, about 27 guys are still kicking around the NFL. And for three of those guys this past week, uh, pretty fun debuts. You had Terrell Bernard with the big scoop and score touchdown for the Buffalo Bills. You had Tristan Ebner with the touchdown catch for the Bears. Also had a nice run uh, in that game as well. And Tyquan Thornton also with the touchdown catch. Uh, elsewhere, you had uh, Jalen Petrie seeing action as a starter for the Texans. Um, not everything was great. Abram Smith had a bad fumble for the Saints uh, as he continues battling for one of the backup running back jobs. JT Woods is kind of uh, getting his, uh, I, I guess, uh, himself acclimated to life in the NFL, uh, trying to overcome some just rookie mistakes that, that happened to the best of of us and and you know players of his ilk, but 
Uh, still a lot of promise for him. Just trying to iron some things out right now with Los Angeles uh, and the Chargers. And then, you know, there's tons of veterans and uh, other storylines that are going on. But, I mean, from the rookie trio alone of Bernard, Ebner, and Thornton, uh, pretty cool to see them with big plays this past weekend. Yeah, and Taekwon is just having an awesome camp. I mean, all the reports are the Patriots are so excited for him, and he's been putting on a show. I think he's going to be a starter for them this year. Uh, I'm expecting big things from Taekwon. He showed up in that first game, scored a touchdown, and just kind of basically solidified all the things that I've seen throughout camp and just all the videos all the beat writers talking about how good he has been and the separation that he's been creating and the tough catches he's been making really excited for him the other guy who has a lot of momentum right now is Tristan Ebner Um, he looks like he might be finding a role in that Bears offense as a third down back Dave David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert ahead of him Um, but Ebner is just kind of a different guy than those two a little more speed, a little more pace, and a better pass catcher. He'll also have a great role on special teams, which is why he's a sure thing to make the Bears as long as he stays healthy. Um, Bernard, you know, haven't heard a ton on him. I think he's doing his thing. He won't be, I don't think he'll be a starter this year. No, Petrie's going to be a starter for sure. JT trying to work his way into a role probably a backup role, even though there was talk about him potentially being the starter. Not right now. Game not. Year. Yeah, no, I, I don't see that currently either, but a lot of mixed bag, but I think pretty good things, to be honest, from some of the top guys. And honestly, if you get a couple guys each class that really, really hit, that's all you're looking for. Because Baylor hasn't had a ton of guys that have actually hit in the NFL. Well, I'll, I'll lay it out a little further in my article once the deadline hits. But, I mean, Xavier Howard is carrying the torch. And then mm-hmm. after him, I mean, quite frankly, uh, they don't have really much of anybody. The rookie class is kind of like their great hope right now as far as NFL action goes. Because, yeah, there's veterans like John Weeks, but who talks about the long snapper? Josh Gordon's trying to make a roster. I mean, if you count him, I mean, some people don't because he was booted from Baylor, so some people don't count him, and some people do, so it just kind of is eye of the beholder. Um, But, yeah, he's not a guarantee to make the Chiefs roster. Corey Coleman's not a guarantee to make the Chiefs. I mean, I said this in this room earlier, but they've got 27 guys right now, I believe, and by – the end of cuts here in a couple of weeks, I mean, I could see that being cut in half. I mean, easily. I could see that being cut in half because there are a lot of guys on one-year deals and a lot of just sort of in-the-middle sort of veteran guys. Like, what do you do with Henry Black and Jamison Houston, who just recently signed? I mean, he's not probably long for this life. Yeah. He was just in the USFL last month. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll have updates, uh, and I'll have the latest after this first round of cuts, but um, yeah, for all of the attrition that's probably in store, uh, this will certainly be a number of you know bears that are going to be whittled down over the next couple of weeks. A very impactful opening weekend uh, when you had Ebner and Thornton and Bernard and uh, it, all of those guys scoring touchdowns and then others like Petrie making plays around the league as well. So that was cool to see. Those rookies have certainly given the uh, NFL side of things a little bit of a spark. Yeah, uh, they have. Yeah. It's been fun to see, honestly. Yeah. That momentum is... Honestly, really cool. There's way more talk about the NFL and Baylor right now than there has been for, I I don't know, quite some time. Mm -hmm. I mean, as far as the preseason goes, uh, another player to watch, Denzel Mims, very much a question mark in New York right now. I hope he gets Um, cut. He needs to go somewhere He else. needs to get cut or traded, did, I mean, pretty much. Did you hear the rumor that he's not going to ask for a trade? There was 
yeah, a report of that. I mean, I, I mentioned this in the article as well. Uh, it's the New York media, so you don't know what exactly is true and what's not. But, yeah, I mean, either way, it seems like he's not really long for, for New York. So that's not surprising. I think when he went there, everybody was kind of like, ugh, you know. <laughs> and But I don't know how much of that is the Jets, how much of that is Denzel. I mean, mm-hmm. he had a reputation for being a guy filled with talent but not necessarily tapping all of that talent. And they were able to kind of – get that out of him that last year and that led to a big year and that led to a second round choice and he got hurt he had got sick it just all kind of so piled on itself and then they point, went out and added guys point the finger where you yeah. want to but I mean it is what it is and, and that's gonna have to change here soon so that's another storyline to watch as well but yeah big weekend by the rookies and now let's see what happens with cuts underway so Baylor number 10 in both polls having some uh, NFL buzz as well uh, outside of Baylor and former players, uh, there was a notable starting quarterback named South Florida named Gary Bohannon, their starting quarterback. Um, I know there's a couple of other guys uh, that you mentioned, Charlie Brewer out at Liberty, and, uh, of course, Jacob Zeno as well at uh, UAB, who are competing for the starting jobs. A lot of people I've noticed here as of late completely forgot about Charlie Brewer going to Liberty. Uh, but, yeah, there's three former Baylor quarterbacks that are – you know, potentially starting elsewhere. And uh, Gary Bohannon will officially be one of those guys. As South Florida named him their QB1. Uh, any thoughts on the former Bears and where they kind of fall in the ranks of college football? Yeah, um, you know, for Gary, it's going to be a really tough situation because USF is not very good. I think their over-under is like four and a half wins. So if he were to get them to a bowl, that would be extremely impressive. I think he's more of a guiding presence for them, uh, which is what they needed. They really were lacking leadership last year, and so now Gary's going to go in there, and we all know he provides great leadership for the program. And so... I think Gary is going to be a guy who will step in, have a very successful year. They like to run the quarterback as well, so that'll be fun for him. Uh, Charlie Brewer looks like the favorite to win the Liberty quarterback job, but I don't know about that, nor do I know if he'll last a full year. We really haven't seen that for a while. Um, you know, from him. It's just been, you know, really unfortunate for Charlie over the past few years. And then Zeno is battling against a, a pretty good quarterback in Dylan Hopkins there at UAB. So I don't know which direction that one's going to go. It looks like Hopkins probably has the edge, um, but it wouldn't shock me if Zeno ended up being the quarterback at some point. Yeah, um, I would say about Charlie Brewer in particular, for a guy who people were so worried about, that's now two more teams who have cleared him to play for them. So yeah. um, he's just been kicking it around. Colors of the Pac-12 last year and plays for Utah until Rising unseats him and uh, now we'll see what happens with uh, independent, although controversial, Liberty and uh, head coach Hugh Freeze out there. Yeah, and then Timmy McClain, the quarterback at USF, decided to enter the transfer portal after Gary won the job. And then you had his dad commenting on tweets saying that uh, Timmy didn't like that Gary didn't win the job. Basically, he was saying that Timmy didn't lose this job. It was basically already decided when they went out and added Gary in the spring, well, after the spring. And so, yeah, so Timmy's moving on, and now we won't hear from him, but apparently his dad was not happy with the decision. Well, it just sounds funny the way you state that. Like, Timmy, it just sounds like a bit almost of, like, his dad. Like, Timmy's not... You know, the I don't I didn't know how to phrase it. That could it. never be Timmy. Yeah, Timmy yeah. can't not be the starter. And Timmy, <laughs> yeah, no, it just sounds like a, a bit. But, uh, 
Yeah, I gotta love the the overbearing parents, right? Sometimes uh, they they step out there and, and really let their feelings go, and I'm not sure how Timmy feels about that. But uh, Timmy's dad is sure proud of him and thinks he deserved that starting well, Timmy job. Timmy entered the transfer portal immediately after yeah. that tweet, so uh, I feel like he probably was in line with his dad. <laughs> yes, uh, so that I mean that bodes well for Gary Bohannon, uh, and you know we'll see how it works out for him ultimately uh, as far as uh, USF goes, but the notable a number of former Baylor quarterbacks that are uh, getting it, uh, you know, opportunities elsewhere. One final note before we get into the mailbag, just kind of housekeeping here. Uh, Shay Langoliers uh, of the Oakland A's, former Baylor baseball star. Uh, he is the number one prospect for the Oakland organization, and uh, he is getting called up. Uh, will be making his major league debut uh, this week. Uh, as soon as, uh, I guess tonight, uh, Shay Langoliers could be making his debut, but uh, called up uh, number 28 prospect in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. He's been playing for AAA Vegas. Uh, played with them 92 games this year. Number nine overall pick back in 2019, 24 years old. And uh, he had been picked up by the A's prior uh, to this season. He was involved in a trade. He was originally drafted by the Atlanta Braves, uh, but now with the Oakland A's. So, Shea Langoliers uh, getting ready to make his Major League Baseball debut. Yeah, only 24 years old. He was the number nine overall pick in the 2019 MLB draft. So, a guy that still has a lot of potential and a lot left in his game. I think it's great that he's finally getting an opportunity to show that. He's played really well this year, 40 extra base hits. So, he's been very, very solid. And since last year, he's got 41 home runs. So, he's showing a a lot of power at the MLB level, and I'm very excited for him. I think he's going to do some great things for the A's, and he's going to get an opportunity because the A's are, are not great, or at least they haven't been in the last few years, and so I think Shea will go in there and provide a, a good bat for them and help spark their offense a little bit. And uh, he should be making his debut against the Texas Rangers. Oh, uh, perfect. Just the timing of that, uh, the A's in Arlington. So that'll be cool to see. So be on the lookout for that, uh, I guess, as soon as tonight. Uh, the A's and the Rangers, Shea Langoliers, making his debut uh, in the majors. So that's pretty awesome and a good note to close out on. Uh, let's get into the mailbag, and we got a bunch, so let's uh, be mindful of our time here and start off with Scotty B. Which Baylor football game are you looking forward – which home game are you looking forward to the most year? Ooh, uh, the Oklahoma State game on October 1st. I think – Oklahoma State, like I've mentioned, is one of the teams that I think is going to be really, really good this year, them in Oklahoma, and so I think that's going to be a very important one for Baylor uh, if they want to truly win the Big 12 this year. Yeah, uh, Oklahoma State will certainly be a, a great game. Uh, I think they're going to be out for blood <laughs> after last year. I mean, I would certainly be if I, I was them, not that it you know makes up for, for the feelings of last year, but I th certainly think they'll have, you know, a little bit to, to chew on and, and get ready for in advance of that game. But, yeah, I mean, based on their home schedule, it's uh, it's really either that or K-State uh, in November. I mean, TCU in late November could potentially be an, an interesting game, uh, depending on how the Frogs shake out in year one with Sonny Dykes. But, yeah, Oklahoma State's the best game uh, on paper as far as the home schedule goes right now. But, yeah, K-State, TCU in back-to-back -back weeks uh, late in the year could be interesting depending on where everybody kind of sits at that point. Um, how funny, in your opinion, is this photo? Uh, it's uh, I guess I've described it here. It's a Star Wars meme. Texas is back with Darth Maul, and then Texas is back to five and seven. He's got the dueling lightsabers. That's the best I could describe it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's 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 good stuff. Scotty. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah I don't know if they're going to be five and seven, but it's a good meme. 
you're expecting more, I'd, I'd assume. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think most people are. But, yeah, I, if I would love it for it to be accurate, um, and it may very well be. We will see if they keep losing players to injuries, it could be. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, like you, Scotty, we're fired up as well that athletics is back. Alpha Needle, contrary to popular opinion, that Baylor has a brutal schedule. I contend we optimally timed our schedule in 22. Oklahoma has new head coach, coordinators, QB, 14 to 22 starters. No team has contended for P5 championships with that much turnover. Texas is Texas, struggling with injuries in O-line. Huge turnover at Iowa State. Texas Tech has new head coach and coordinators. The other two best teams are K-State, OSU. We get them at home, not on the road. Our two toughest road games will be BYU and West Virginia. In summary, given the circumstances, our schedule is set up to help us succeed, agree, or disagree. Help you succeed. I, I can't. I, I disagree with that. I think last year's schedule was set up to help you succeed. I mean, and it should have. I mean, if they took care of business against TCU, that would have been an 11-1 team last year. But I look at this schedule, and I'm thinking, okay, you get Oklahoma State at home, that's great. And I know, I don't even know if this is a fact that no team has contended for a Power 5 championship with that much turnover. I mean, is that a fact or just kind of a... I don't I have no idea. Because I don't know. I haven't done the research, you know, on it. But I still think Oklahoma is going to be really good. I mean, historically, Oklahoma has been good every single year, even when they lose a head coach. They have been very good and very consistent. So I don't know about that. Having to go to Oklahoma is really tough. Having to go to Texas, where Baylor's had all kinds of problems there, that's not easy. Going to West Virginia, where Baylor has never won, that's not easy. Going to BYU, a top 25 team, that's also not easy. Um, and so just kind of looking at that, I know you mentioned Texas Tech. I don't think Tech's very good. Huge turnover at Iowa State. I don't think Iowa State's very good. So I'm more so looking at these other games, and I, I think that it's um, I think it's going to be tough. And so I disagree with that. I think last year's schedule was much easier than this year's. Yeah, I think that last year's schedule was a lot more favorable, um, but I understand where you're coming from and trying to put some optimism or more of an optimistic view as, um, you know, there are some question marks, but on paper, which I know is what you're going off of as well, I can't help but look at the locations and just the way it kind of plays out. And and that is daunting to me to go to Austin on Black Friday and to West Virginia on a Thursday and uh, to Iowa State and to Oklahoma and to Provo early in the year. And, I mean, that's just, that's just a lot. It's a lot of road trips. Uh, it's clear that road games are – Part of their focus, uh, a point that Aranda has really hammered home already in preseason camp, is that they have to be good on the road for them to have success this year. And I don't know that they've solved that just yet. Uh, and we will find out because they're going to go through the fire on the road. And, um, yeah, I mean, I could see a, a positive scenario where they go win a bunch of games. And, and for the reasons that you mentioned, that, yeah, they're in Lubbock, but Texas Tech's got a first-year coaching staff. And, yeah, they're in Austin, but it's typical UT, but – I mean, they barely beat Tech last year. They always struggle with Texas. Iowa State's always a grind. I mean, like, these games are grinds uh, no matter where they're played. So I don't expect that to really change very much. Right, and I, I think the suggestion here is that Oklahoma's going to have a down year. But, I like, they had a down year last year. Yeah. I mean, they were 9-3 and three last year. They weren't a juggernaut. Baylor got them at home. Texas was 5-7 and seven last year. You got to play a pretty bad Texas team. And honestly, the first half did not look great. So again, I don't know that really saying that teams are having a down year, that they have a lot of turnover is really any different from a year ago outside of maybe Oklahoma state who was 11 and one, if you're calling that an anomaly. Yeah. And as much as Baylor's bringing back, I mean, it is a down year compared to what they had last year. I mean, as far as star power goes, I mean, they've lost 
a lot of really good players. So, I mean, they're expected to take at least some semblance of a step back, at least initially, uh, as they try to, you know, get used to this new version of themselves, um, you know, having had to replace a lot of notable contributors over the last few years. We still don't know how that's going to affect them over the course of an entire season because you were relying on guys who were three, four years proven, and that's not the case for a lot of this football team now at this point. As we point out, even the quarterback who everybody's so confident about, we've seen him for two and a half games. Yeah, That's it. We're talking about – 10-plus games back-to-back-to-back-to-back on the road, you know, harsh environment. We we haven't seen Blake Shapen go through that fire just yet. So there are a lot of wild cards for everybody out there. But, yeah, I I definitely think I'd I'd take last year's schedule in a heartbeat over this year's. Just a bear in a frog world, how much does perception matter for college football appearances, playoff appearances, and does Baylor starting off ranked number 10 make a difference? Uh, I don't think so. Because the CFP rankings are different than the AP and the media coaches poll. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Does it help maybe slightly? Yeah, perception-wise. But I think college football playoff-wise, I don't think it helps at all. Those The people who are voting on college football playoff teams, they have a totally different set of criteria, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that the perception matters somewhat depending on like your brand. I, I do believe that that comes into play a little bit. Um, and I think Baylor's kind of in the middle as far as how that's viewed. Like, they're definitely not viewed all of the Ohio States or the Notre Dames. They're definitely not – they're probably viewed a little bit better than, you know, a few brands out there. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know how much – I think just winning matters. I mean, as we've seen, you don't lose a second game like they did uh, a couple of times now in their history, and you're in the playoff uh, instead of on the outside looking in, you know. And, and that's been the case at least twice now for them over the last decade. So perception or not, they've had their opportunities to be in it and quite frankly lost one more game than they should have, uh, whether that was West Virginia and the Kevin White debacle uh, with P.I.'s galore in Morgantown or last year's whatever you want to call that in Fort Worth, uh, the Chandler Moore show. 2013 laying the egg in Stillwater. Laying an egg in Stillwater and petty tripping. You know, I mean, they've they've had multiple – there's three years where you yeah. could have been in the playoff uh, or, you know, knocking on that door. I mean, even 2015, you get through the rainstorm and Giant Jefferson doesn't fumble the football, you – Yep. Even without a quarterback, they might have gone 11-1. and In the midst of all that chaos. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, perception is what it is, but results are, are really what will get you there, and there's not much that can be argued when you just post a post – a, you know – Post-concrete results. Uh, does Baylor starting off at number 10 make a difference? I mean, I think that perceptionally that, yeah, like it keeps them top of mind a bit more. But, again, they can fall out of that favor very quickly with just a couple losses and be right out of the top 25. So it's a nice starting point, and it's, I guess, uh, a good thing if you keep on winning because it just kind of keeps you in that conversation. But outside of that, it, it can dissipate quickly. Uh, all right, so appreciate that question. Uh, answer is... Not really. Um, not really. Uh, it's just kind of in their hands. Doc Crow, what restaurant would you pick in Waco that has the best food and most represents the town? I think George's. Yeah, I was thinking the same yeah. thing. It's kind of a boring answer, but yeah, I mean. It represents the town the best, though, in my eyes. Uh, same here. I mean, people know about the Big O, and they know of George's when they come into town. That's the restaurant I hear most often. Uh, I'd probably could think of a couple of other places that get mentioned regularly, but that's that's the 1A uh, pretty easily. Uh, well, Ika, Ika, excuse me, challenge Andrew Billings, four ta- 14 tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, 39 total, or Bravion Roy, 13 tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, 61 tackles total for best statistical year of the three. So he had 24 tackles, six for loss, three and a half sacks. Um, so he's going to have to... 
to boost those numbers up a little bit in order to catch these guys. I just, the thing with Apu is he doesn't play as many snaps as the other two did. He's not going to have to because they have Jackson player and they have Chidi. So I think it's probably going to be tough for him to reach those numbers, but I think he's good enough to get there if he gets enough snaps. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he can he can challenge, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think the five and a half sacks are very doable. That's doable. I don't know about the, the 61 total tackles, like yeah. getting in that ballpark, though. Or, or the you know 14 tackles for loss. That's an awful lot. Yeah. With what he's asked to do, he's not really asked to do that. But I do think five and a half sacks, I think he can probably get there and maybe you know, 35, 40 tackles. Sounds about right. Yeah, I think he could sniff that. But am I anticipating the best years statistically uh, no. for him to top those years? No, I am not. Just because again, his role is a little bit different than uh, than what those guys were asked to do. Um, but not in a you know that's not a negative at all. Apu's got a, a big year in store. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him. Doc also asked, where would you have? And he's definitely got the more upside at the next level, I think, than either one of those guys. Uh, who Billings is in a deal with the Raiders right now, and he got to start the last preseason game, but kind of uh, just a depth piece there mostly. And then Bravion's been hanging around Carolina. Uh, but I definitely think Apu is, is a guy who can create some NFL buzz. Where would you have each placed the Big 12 schools in the AP poll have given a vote? Yeah, I would have put Baylor at five. I don't – yeah, I uh... – I don't know who Notre Dame's quarterback is. Texas A&M, who's their quarterback? What have they done winning-wise? Utah's really good, but again, you know, I think Baylor is better than them up front. Michigan lost a lot, and Baylor simply going into the year should be ranked ahead of Oklahoma. So, yeah, I think I'd probably put them at five. Oklahoma, um, I'd probably keep them at like nine. I, I think that's about right. I'd probably put Oklahoma State at 10, though. I think Oklahoma State's better than Oregon, who is – currently at number 10 and i think they could be better than michigan as well so probably say baylor at five oklahoma at nine oklahoma state at 10 anybody else in the poll k-state um i think kansas okay well that's that's a good question right i think coming into the year kansas state probably shouldn't be ranked but if i were to say okay if i were to put them in the top 25 i think that they're better than byu so i'd probably put them at 25 yeah, I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with Baylor anywhere from 5 to 10, OU anywhere from 5 to 10, and right on the outside of the 10, I'd have uh, Oklahoma State. Um, so I think that's all pretty much self-explanatory and not much difference in that sort of same vicinity. And then, yeah, I mean, throw a, throw a K-State a bone there at the very end at 25 or receiving votes doesn't really – I think it, it's almost better for them to not get a lot of play early on and to let them kind of go out there and prove it and then become that cute story that a lot of people think that they – are set up to be uh, this year with Deuce Vaughn and, and climbing and company. And of course their their new quarterback. So not all that different from uh, what you kind of see in the poll right now. I think they pretty much got it in the ballpark. Uh, Stifler's mom. We haven't heard much from Garmin Randolph this camp. What kind of year do you expect him to have? I feel like I've talked about him or written about him quite a bit, but I'm expecting him to be the starting Jack linebacker for Baylor. I think he's going to have a great year. I think you're going to finally see more flashes this season of consistently high-level play. Um, a year ago, you saw flashes of him making some plays, but I think this year the consistency will go up. I think Garmin is due to be, you know, 
kind of one of those guys that you look at after the year and you go, man, he had a great year, but next year is going to be even better. And I think next year he has an opportunity to be an all Big 12 type guy. I think he's good enough for that. And I think his pass rushing is going to take a big step up this year. Uh, he's a leader now and a guy that's really become more of a veteran presence than he had been in the past. And he's, uh, he's the guy at the jack position. I'm expecting big things. JHP Texas Ranger uh, Rancher, excuse me, is a relatively new subscriber, but avid follower of the Bearcast. I have noticed very little coverage of special teams. Noah and Isaac are entrenched, but would like to hear your thoughts on who gets the nod for returning punts and kickoffs. Yeah, I mean, I would probably say Monterey, who you mentioned. That's that's a pretty good bet. I would also say Josh Fleeks. I think is going to be involved in that role as well. Uh, he's not going to get a ton of playing time at running back, so I think in the return game is where he could possibly make a big impact. Uh, I think Jordan Neighbors, uh, when he gets healthy, I think he could be a guy that also could make an impact back there. Yeah, and uh, he had said, I or he or she, I would think that Monterey would get first crack at returning punts, but I have no idea who gets kickoffs. Also, who will get first crack at field goal kicking? Hankins. Yeah. yeah it'll, it'll definitely be Hankins after the year that he just had. Yeah, our only experience with special teams is like a five-minute flash period uh, where they basically just line up one guy, he kicks, and the next guy runs up and kicks, and then the next guy runs up and kicks, and they just yeah. do it like that, and it's all done in like two minutes, and then boom, it's on to the next drill. Right. So, I mean, there's really not – a lot to to take in during our portions of the special yeah. teams part. Baylor's of track record with special teams, especially field goal kicking, makes me very nervous for Hankins this year because it's always been one good year and then, my goodness, a True. terrible year and then a good year. So hopefully Hankins gives them some consistency there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing about this group is there's consistently – you know, or there's, there's consistency as far as the guys who are back. I mean, it's the same group from last year, so you can kind of just pencil it in, and hopefully there's been improvement across the board, and competition creates a bit of that. Need to figure out long snapper, exactly how that works. Um, but outside of that, I mean, everybody's pretty much back, and they're kind of off to the side. If you've ever been in a practice, special teams is sort of its own animal. <laughs> they're like in the indoor by themselves doing whatever, and uh, yeah, it's it's fun to watch those guys, but uh, yeah, kind of kind of a veteran group coming back. Uh, AF Blue eighty two um, just commented on a question, then also said, "What's your favorite position group and why?" Uh, I mean, is this just I don't know. It says, "What's your favorite position group and why?" Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll go with the the team. I guess favorite position group. Um, I'm going to go with the uh, the Will linebacker spot or just linebacker in general. Uh, Josh White, Will Williams. Tyrone Brown, those are the backups behind Dylan Doyle and Matt Jones. I mean, that's a really deep group and a really fun group as well. Yeah, I'll go with uh, the defensive line. I just think it's a super deep group, and I'm fascinated to see the rotation and nose tackle and just kind of how that depth uh, works all year long. But uh, they're they're three deep across the, the D-line, so it's going to be really fun to see uh, how they shake up uh, the Big 12 and, you know, these new-look offenses that we see this year. And, and there's going to be a lot on their shoulders as far as providing pressure and doing those types of things with the losses of the Petries and the Bernards and those guys who created a lot of havoc last year. AF already uh, also asked chips and queso, salsa, or guacamole? Queso. Yeah, um, I like all three, but uh, I would go with queso there. Your daily cup check. Who is the <laughs> single most important player on the roster Ooh. not named Shapin that will determine the trajectory of the season? This is a great question because natural instinct is to go with Apu, but Jackson players are back up there. So, oh, man. I'm going to go with Squirrel. I think Squirrel gives them something different in the run game than anyone else, and I don't think they have a one-for-one -one perfect 
game plan to back him up. I like Richard Reese, but he's a freshman still. So I think Squirrel is the guy who's probably the most important, even though conventional wisdom would probably say Apu. Uh, yeah, I think I'll go with Dylan Doyle just from a leadership standpoint and just kind of a proven veteran standpoint. I mean, he seems to be kind of a heartbeat guy for this team, and you hear a lot of people talking about just what a great teammate and great leader and things like that. So I think for more reasons than just on the field, Dylan Doyle's a, a key piece that you would you would absolutely hate to lose. Yeah, I didn't even mention this, but he's probably another good one is Ben Sims. I was my other thought. Just as a pass catcher. So, yeah, yeah, those are those are two good Those were my two. Well. If I had to pick one each, that those would be my two. So, yeah, Ben Sims and uh, and Dylan Doyle. Uh, Joe Bear, who's your favorite coach from each conference, excluding Saban and Aranda? Yeah, okay, so ACC, Dabo. Um, just go ahead because I, I have to think about this Okay, now. Pac-12, Kyle Whittingham at Utah. Uh, Big Ten, Jeff Brom at Purdue, but that's because I like Purdue. Uh, SEC. Woo. Um, mm. I don't really like the coaches in the SEC, but if I were to pick one, it'd probably be uh, Kirby Smart. And then in the Big 12, it's Dave Aranda. Uh, outside of Dave Aranda, my favorite coach is probably mm, Chris Kleiman at K-State. Just favorite. I, I don't know if they're the best, but those are my favorite ones. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I mean, I don't really have anybody in the ACC. I guess Tony Elliott, sure, why yeah. not? Um, Big 12, Dave Aranda. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'll have to answer. I'd have to give some more thought and answer it because I, I really, off the top of my head, don't have a good idea uh, without seeing a list in front of me. So apologies for that. But. Uh, I'm, I'll get a list to you at some point. Since both Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers wear number 12 and Blake Shapin also wears number 12, is the universe trying to communicate Shapin has an extremely bright future? Well, 12 is my favorite number as well, so I think that's that's probably correct. Uh, it does probably say something about his future, huh? Yeah, math adds up to me, Joe. I think you're you're onto something there. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully the, the numbers and the astrology and all that stuff comes into play in their, in their favor. Yeah, someone on the board posted that uh, they're – like comp that makes the most sense to Blake Shapin is Tom Brady on the board. And I was like, <laughs> I was sitting okay. there like, what are we talking about here? Like even in college and just the way they play is so not similar. Like Tom Brady is one of the least athletic dudes I've ever seen, but my goodness, he, he can make every throw. I just don't know if that's a very good comp. I just laughed at it because you're comparing Blake Shapin to, you know, the GOAT, which is just crazy to me. Go big or go home, I guess. Yeah, um, so. yeah but that'd be great if he could could have some of those uh, GOAT tendencies. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Brady also a bit bigger than Blake Shapin yeah. as well. About, by, what, five inches, four yeah, inches? at least. Yeah. Uh, Trevor Belmont, which of our wide receivers have looked the best so far and what specific attributes have contributed to that opinion from the top three for the top three to four? Um. That's the hard part is who've looked the best. It's just kind of been a mixture. I would say, you know, based on kind of everything I've heard, it it appears like Josh Cameron, Monterey Baldwin, Seth Jones have kind of, you know, they've done really good. I think Armani Winfield, Javon Gibson, Jalen Ellis are kind of fitting in that group as well as far as guys that have stood out. Um, Specific reasons, I think it kind of varies for each. So for Josh Cameron, great blocker. Just the best blocker of the wide receiving group. And that's important in this offense, especially with the wide zone scheme. You have to be able to block as a wide receiver. He also has great hands, contested catches extremely well. Uh, Monterey, great route runner. 
always open. Um, very good in kind of every situation. Like you can give him handoffs. You can hit him in the screen game. You can run go routes with him. He's probably uh, one of the most versatile of the group. Seth Jones just been steady. Consistency has been huge for him. He's continued to improve as a route runner um, and just has been consistent overall. And his veteran leadership, I think, is also big. So that's what I'll say for those three. But the other guys are right there with them. I don't even want to say that this competition is over. The only two that I continue to say I know have a role going into the year are Josh Cameron and Monterey Baldwin. And the guys that are inching closer to that are Seth Jones and Armani Winfield. All right. Uh, also skipped over a question here. Bear Powers, Bear Power 56. What if, what's our ceiling if shape and sustains a season-ending injury week one? And who starts at quarterback the rest of the year? Ooh, ceiling. If he's hurt week one, so that means that he, this quarterback has to go to BYU. I'd say their ceiling is probably six and six or seven and five is the ceiling for this team. I like Kyron, and he's continuing to show improvements. I think he would be the starting quarterback for this team. You can kind of run an offense similar to what Gary ran a year ago. I just don't know if he'll be as consistent as Gary was for the most part last year. So I'd probably say seven and five. Yeah, I at best seven and five. I mean, I'm talking eight and four with shaping, so I'm not gonna go too much. Yeah, yours different. might be even. I mean, scraping a bowl game. Yeah. Dependent. I mean, if it happens week one, yeah, I think they're fighting for a bowl game. Right. I mean, with all the road games that they have, we've seen Kyron Jones throw like all of five passes in two years, yeah. basically. Luke Anthony is there as well. So yeah, if things do have a problem. He's been a starter at the group five level. If that happened, I I think making a bowl game would be a pretty good accomplishment. Although that would feel just kind of not that great simply because <laughs> you know you're scratching to make a bowl game but i think that's how important shaping is and losing your starter in week one i mean that's just catastrophic so yeah. uh, i think he's that kind of a talent compared to you know his his depth that he puts them over the top by by at least a couple games yeah the albany game's the one where you don't want him to get hurt because you could win that game with any quarterback yeah. back there. <laughs> yeah, he needs to be out of that game by halftime yeah. uh, or, you know, early third quarter at the very latest. So, yeah, Trevor, that would be uh, pretty – or I guess a Bear Power 56, that would be pretty bad. Uh, knock on wood there. Bear in the big greenhouse. Hey, Grayson. Hey, GG. whatever. Uh, I read your article on the week two season preview and had a follow-up question or two. How do you see the trenches battle between Baylor and BYU playing out? Does BYU return a lot of talent in those areas like Baylor? Thanks, y'all. So this is why Baylor is going to beat BYU next year. Because BYU has a good offensive line, a top 10 offensive line, but Baylor's defense line is better. And we saw that last year. BYU returns a lot of guys, but they couldn't even get Tyler Algier going in that game. I don't see them being able to just turn around, hand the ball off, um, and run all over Baylor. So that's the problem, number one. The second problem is BYU could not stop Baylor from running the football last year. Baylor got better on the offensive line. BYU returns guys on the defensive line, but again, they don't scare me up front. And so I think Baylor has an edge on both sides up front, a pretty decisive edge in my opinion as well. All right, uh, and that will bring us to Darth Mellon. Thoughts on how we will defend Texas in the last game of the regular season with their talent at the skill positions. I would assume Aranda and Roberts will like our D-line versus their O-line and play two high safeties most of the game, though Bijan Robinson may call for bringing a safety closer to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I think you're going to see two high safeties a lot from Baylor this year, not just in the Texas game. And with Texas losing Isaiah Naor, 
I don't think it's as daunting, to be honest. And I don't know that they're going to be able to protect whoever the quarterback is. I think it's going to be Quinn Ewers, but if it is Hudson Card, which, you know, there's been a lot of rumors about If it's about not that, Ewers, dude, that is like, can we just crazy. stop, like, stop the offseason promotion? Because, yeah. like, come on, man. That, that would be great for Hudson Card. Right. But that would be kind of a joke as well. That would, like, ruin everyone's preseason article. Every single one. Because everyone thought Quinn Ewers was going to be the guy immediately. And now, it, for some reason, it seems like it's trending back to Hudson Card. I just, there's no way, right? I, I agree. I agree. There's no way. But <laughs> it's guess there is a way, yeah. Um, so, I think that's probably how they'll defend it. I just think they're going to be able to dominate Texas from the point of contact. I mean, they're going to start at least two true freshmen. At least. It might even be three. And if they have to do that, I don't see them blocking Baylor at all. And if you can't get protection for your quarterback, it doesn't matter what routes you're running or how far your quarterback can throw it because he's going to have a guy in his face the whole game. Um, So I think they're going to blitz a lot, try to make the quarterback uncomfortable, take away the run game, and then just feel good about your coverage on the back end. That's basically what they did a year ago, and it worked out pretty well. All right, uh, thank you for that question there as that will close us on out. And uh, a lot of good ones uh, this week from the mailbag. Darth Mellon bringing it to a close. Thanks as well to Bear in the Big Green House and Trevor and Bear Power and Joe and Cup Check and AF Blue and also just the Bear and Frogward, Doc Crow, Alpha Needle, Stifler's Mom, Scotty B. Thanks to all of you for uh, your questions this week in the mailbag. And uh, had to go through several slideshows to try and see every name. So don't plan on going to most of these sites again, but trying to answer the question about coaches earlier. Um, SEC, I'll I'll go Kirby Smarter Stoops. ACC, go Dave Clawson. Pat, go Kyle Whittingham. And Big Ten, I I I need to see a list again. I need to go through whatever slideshow this is. You're Uh, a big P.J. Fleck guy? I no, I don't like PJ Fleck. I'm not a big Kirk Ferentz Ryan guy. Day. I'm like tired Ryan of Day. Mel Tucker and his dogs. Uh, Ryan Day, no. Harbaugh's kind of a d bag. Pat so. Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Well, Northwestern. Love. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't, like they, there's so much spam. It's trying to just see a Scott list Frost? of Big Ten coaches. Um, so it's not even yeah. worth it. No, definitely not Scott Frost. <laughs> so. I don't know, just Ryan Day just answered the question. But, mm. yeah, I was just trying to see. Like, I can't just see a list of coaches to look through. Yeah, it's got to, like, uh, go through a whole whole thing. So, yeah, let's just say Ryan Day. Uh, he's he's good offensive mind. There you go to answer that. But, yeah, um, should be interesting to see how, how the Big Ten moves forward. Um, they've certainly been a hot topic this offseason, but got to go put it out there on the field here pretty soon. Yeah, they they will. It seems like Ohio State's basically the favorite there. Oh, so. imagine that. Uh, yeah. So it's like every, every other year, year in yeah. the Big Ten. All right, uh, so thanks to everybody again for their questions. Uh, thanks for listening as always. And uh, next week uh, we'll be getting down to the nitty-gritty. Uh, practices will be shut down, and uh, they'll be in game mode. So uh, anything before we go, Grayson? No, just be sure to check out Sikkim 365 Premium if you're not a subscriber. And then, of course, 365 Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6. Lots of great content there as well. We'll keep you updated with everything Baylor Sports. Yeah, we will. Uh, Thanks to everybody behind the scenes here uh, making us look good and sound good. And, again, thanks to uh, the audience out there for uh, helping uh, support this show and just for being there week in and week out listening to us. We are so very close to actually being able to talk about some results and opponents and those types of things. Uh, Just a little bit more patience, and we will be there. So until next time, game's right around the corner. For Grayson Grunhafer, I'm Craig Smoke, and this has been the BearCast on Sikkim 365.